Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode. I am Deepa, your host for today's episode. An organization's culture is defined by the behavior that a company promotes, values, and reinforces in its employees. As individuals, we have values which are deeply ingrained in us that drive our decision making. How do these personal values relate to that of an organization? Does organizational culture shape our thinking? What happens when there are differences between our personal values and the organization's culture? We talk about this with Shiva Kannan. Shiva is SVP, International and Commercial CIO at GE Healthcare. He is responsible for the GE Healthcare digital technology strategy and execution across 120 countries. He has over two decades of experience in the industry. He has played diverse roles. He has been an architect, led the Engineering Center of Excellence, been an IT leader for engineering, and is now a CIO. I have always enjoyed listening to Shiva's perspectives on different topics. He is candid in his observations. As he shares his learnings, you will find yourself reflecting on your own journey and also thinking of ways to try out some of the things that he speaks about. Hey Shiva, welcome to the episode. Glad to have you with us today. Deepa, thanks for thinking about me and inviting me to this podcast. Really looking forward to exploring this very interesting topic together. Lovely, Shiva. So before we dive into values, culture and all of that, let's just go back in time and maybe talk about what were your thoughts when you started your career journey or what were your interests? Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of different things, Deepa. So I was in the US. I just got there. I finished my master's. There was one where you're nervous to crack into the workforce of a new country. I mean, there's a little bit of self-doubt if you can actually do that. And then there's also all these idealistic thoughts that you have saying, hey, you want to make a difference. You've been studying for a long time. And you want to put that to good use as well. So in many ways, it was, call it a tale of two cities, right? A mixture of two different things. But a a sense of optimism and excitement. (laughs) I know this sense of wanting to make a difference. We are so idealistic when we start out, right? Absolutely. And then that bubble keeps getting burst (laughs) as we move along. And the real world is put in front of us. When we start out, we have a set of, values, I would say, organization, culture, all of that, that's not something that actually struck me. When I started out, there's some things that I would go by. So for you, when you started out, what were some of the principles or values that you had in your mind? Yeah, so had in my mind is probably an an overreach deeper because I wasn't necessarily thinking along those lines. I mean, to your point, at that point, you're not thinking of culture. I mean, culture at that point is mostly corporate mumbo-jumbo or leadership comes and talks in, in meetings and presentations, right? It really doesn't mean much, right? So for me, walking into my first job, now thinking back and reflecting, the values that I had was the values that I kind of picked up along the way. And most of it was from home, 
watching my dad. My dad was a, a shop floor worker, a blue collar worker. And, you know, what I saw in him was the strong work ethic. Come rain or shine, he gave us 100% to his job. He worked three shifts. It was a hard, hard job. But I never saw him taking a day off because he didn't feel well or he didn't feel like it. That was just ingrained me from, from day one. That work ethic, working hard, doing it regardless of who's watching him. So that one is something that I still carry today. Second is integrity. And I saw that in spades, in the way he carried himself, in the way my parents carried themselves, in the way they kind of corrected and coached me when I made mistakes as a kid. So those were two things that I always had. And the third one was, you know, you have to take care of yourself. I was the only child. And, you know, that was both through experience and then also inculcated right from the start is you have to pull your weight. You have to carry yourself. So I feel, Deepa, looking back, those were the values that I carried into the company or the first place that I worked at. And then, you know, you're such a sponge at that time. Like I said earlier, you're walking in with a lot of trepidation. You don't know if you're going to be successful. So you're open-minded. So that's where the, the example of the sponge comes in. And you're so malleable to pick up what you're going to be seeing from your role models or supposed role models that are going to be put in front of you. Those were nice ones. See, at that time, with all these thoughts, when you joined the work, there will be something that you see in people around you. Some of it you may like, some of it you may not. And some of it, like you say, you may absorb. Some will reinforce what you already think and some will be like, oh my God, I should change what I'm thinking. So take me through those initial days, maybe some of your early observations. Yeah, it's a good question, Deepa. And on and this one, I won't name the company. I joined one of the big consulting organizations in the U.S., and, you know, this is uh, the time when Y2K was going strong and SAP implementations were going strong. So consulting boom was happening. And this was before any of us knew the internet bubble bursting was right around the corner. But all of us were naive and, you know, completely punch drunk on the success. So the thing that, you know, I saw in this company at that time was there was a lot of people promoting themselves. And this was, you know, a, a surprise to me. There was a lot of I before we, because at least till then culturally, and then also the places that I was in, there was this thing driven, you know, in you saying that your actions speak louder than your words, right? Do your job, put your heads down, and then, you know, the, the results will come. And here what I saw was there was a lot more of promotion, brand building, and marketing than that didn't necessarily gel with what I was used to. And second, there was less of teamwork and then more of the lone wolf thing where people were going and trying to push and then be aggressive. So so this is something that kind of had me pause saying, hey, is this something that I want to incorporate uh, 100%? I mean, is this, is this a value set that makes sense? Or is this a value set that goes completely orthogonal to what I believe in, what I'm comfortable with? So what I, I realized, Deepa, at that point is 
there are value sets that you don't have to completely imbibe because it's going to be unnatural to you. But there are certain things that you have to um, kind of call it recognize to be successful and then see how do you make sure you imbibe certain elements of it without changing who you are. And in this case, I realized that actions are not always going to speak louder than your words. <laughs> you have to have a balance. You have to also spend time to do brand building and promotion, not without the thing of actions, because then you're going to be hollow. You're going to be a fraud, an imposter that people are going to immediately find out. But along with actions, you need to have a balance of words as well. So that is something that I realized there are things that, you know, that are new that you also have to pick up along the way. And that's going to make you a better person as you move along. Yeah, actually this brand building or at least attempting to build a brand for oneself, that is so hard that you learn it over time, actually. <laughs> we are never, Absolutely. We are never taught that. Actually, in some ways, Deepa, at least the education that I came up through and then also the cultural values and no way am I finger pointing, right? But I don't think at that time it was keeping up with the, the times that we were sending graduates and kids because it was much more for the traditional way of doing things of, hey, just hard work, action, just do your things and then the results will follow. But then, you know, even when you go to school, they're like, no, 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 I mean, focus on hard work. I mean, it's, it's culturally driven into you. Correct. And then it's, it's jarring when you go into either the corporate world or you go into a different uh, system where you're like, wow, I've been left behind. I'm doing all these things, but someone else is, is moving ahead. And, you know, you, you feel bad in some ways and you feel that you're not good enough at times. Yes, that's the hardest part to learn. At least one of the hardest. Absolutely. But it comes uh, deeper with being self-aware and recognize that one, yes, there is a gap. Second, being comfortable to actually change. So I know you were there for some time. And then when you moved from one company to another, there are changes that you would have seen. So walk me through your first uh, difference in culture moment when you moved across organizations. Yeah, I mean, so, so the biggest change, Deepa, was values and culture was much more in your face in the newer setting, the newer company. We did talk about that in my earlier company, but it wasn't necessarily as practiced or it wasn't as discussed as it was in the, in the newer setting. And this was a shock initially, uh, because I mean, again, it's something new that was put in front of me. It wasn't just about performance. It wasn't just about, hey, how did you rack and stack against your priorities? But there was this other dimension of how did you do it, not just what did you do, where people were, were also measuring. So in addition to talking about it, in addition to you being measured, the other big change was leaders were modeling themselves around it. I'm not saying everyone was, but you did find there were a decent amount of people that were modeling it. So then, you know, you know that this is not just words where the company is checking the box, that this is real, that the company is serious about. And then the last thing that 
you know, I also noticed was you were in, being incentivized for doing that, right? Driving that behavior. So that's when you start realizing, hey, this is something that the company cares about and the company is actually spending the time and the effort to do it. See, Shiva, we were speaking about these differences uh, in culture and aspects that you came across. So let's take a moment to define culture. Like how one is what companies say what their culture is. One you see actually in the people on the ground. So at this point, how will you define culture? How should people perceive or get a hold of it when they join a company? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Deepa. And, and this is something that I may not have a crisp answer. So bear with me because it's such a amorphous thing. But mm. such a critical thing as well, because I mean, you've, you've heard of sayings like, you know, culture eats strategy any day and, and all of that. And the more I spend time in the corporate world, the more I see why that's important. Because I've seen teams and, and companies where the, they have a great product, but the way they work, again, back to the, the, your question on culture, is toxic. I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily promote people coming together to get the value out of that. Or you have a phenomenal, phenomenal strategy, but then the culture surrounding it to get people to, to come together, that is broken. So in my mind, you know, Deepa, culture is what is the software or the underlying connective tissue that bring people together to achieve something that they couldn't have done individually much, much beyond what the expectations are. It, in many ways, is like the said, the overtly said, and then the unsaid rules on how people are going to work with each other. So this then will give you the, the unwritten ground rules on, hey, even when someone is not looking, this is how we expect you to operate, the how. So in many ways now, you know, having spent time uh, in the corporate world and then leading teams, you start understanding, you start appreciating that the how is actually, you know, equally important, if not more important than just the what. The, the what, again, that's a, a target that will, you know, you set a target, you hit it, then you move on to the next one. But the how you do it, that is so critically, critically important because the team comes together and that goal that you hit then gives the confidence to then start hitting bigger and bigger things. So in many ways, I mean, again, like I said, I'm not going to give you a crisp answer, but hopefully I gave you some ingredients, right, of what I think culture is and why I think culture is so important. Yes, you did, Shiva. <laughs> the part where you mentioned about, see, the said part is the easiest. The unsaid things that people actually do when no one is watching, like how you said it, that's the key to understanding what will get you through in that team or the company. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, I'll use a, a sports analogy. I mean, who, whatever fan you are, be it basketball or football or or any of the other sports, right? I think some of the, the good coaches, if you listen to them, the way they describe a good teammate is what they do when the ball is not close to them. When the ball is with them, 
what they do i mean yeah you're going to say you're a great talent and you're doing great things but what you do when the ball is not there when the limelight is not on you when the spotlight is not on you that defines who you are and that defines what the culture of the team also is till now it was okay like you were part of the team and there is an understanding of culture and what you do but i think it all changes a bit when you become a people manager or you move on from from being an individual contributor to a people manager so absolutely when that happened what were your thoughts on what you would like to see in the team or how did you learn it learned it the hard way simply put see you as you progress from an individual contributor and some of the the challenges and travails that all of us i'm in no way immune to that you come through in life so there's a little bit of self preservation that you have some of self promotion back to the the promotion that i talked about the brand building and a lot about thinking about yourself how can you be successful how can you add value and all of that that switches you know immediately to the team and that's a a jarring shift pretty much gives you a whiplash because you have to go from thinking about yourself to thinking about the team and that doesn't come naturally so how do you kind of go from setting up individual priorities and then pushing yourself and holding you, your yourself accountable to doing that to a team of whatever the the team size is and here you're dealing with different people with different emotions and different expectations and different backgrounds and probably the most important thing different value sets going in you don't realize because again you're naive and you're coming into it that there are all these different things that are in the mix so how do you then one come up with a set of priorities that works for everyone how do you then motivate inspire energize people to get to even better than what they thought they, they themselves can how do you then coach and guide people when they're not doing how do you have those tough conversations when people don't necessarily align with you how do you keep your ego in check and then have that conversation with them all those things don't come on day one as soon as they anoint you as a team leader that's the reason why i said deepa that i've learned the hard way i've made a ton of mistakes along the way but the key thing is being a leader is also a journey into yourself in many ways that's what i've learned is as you you're doing this you start realizing a lot of the things that you need to get better you start realizing that you're not perfect you start putting yourself more and more in other people's shoes and in many ways deeper it makes you humble as well <laughs> so shiva see there will be instances where you do something and say oh this is something i never knew about myself too this is something new about me that i learned so where there moments like that absolutely so in my first stint as a team leader i was promoted elevated from a group of peers so the first call it emotions you're going through is elation that you just became a, a team leader the second <laughs> set of emotions you're going through is now i have to go face my peers my peers were who, i mean people who were my peers earlier and then i have to now lead them right 
there's a little bit of imposter syndrome going on over here as well saying hey am i good enough can i do that are they going to listen to me and all, all those things so there was an incident where a really good friend of mine i mean he's still uh, one of my best friends he was a peer and now you know he was part of my team and there was at least from my side there was a perceived call it a disconnect between him and me and then i was one that tried to avoid conflicts i mean uh, because i felt i was hard it was uh, difficult to do and and i usually walked away from that and in this case it wasn't necessarily helping i was really walking away from a conflict but it was not helping improve the situation so in i reached out to him i ate humble pie instead of thinking oh i'm the leader i can't do that i actually took a chance i reached out to him and then i said hey let's sit down and have a conversation let's be open i mean we are friends right we can uh, set our differences aside and let's talk and then the more we discuss the more i realized the assumptions that i made were not necessarily true he wasn't necessarily holding back because i just became the leader he was more kind of waiting to see what i wanted from him so this was an aha moment for me where hey avoiding conflicts especially when you're a leader doesn't necessarily work you can't run away from that back to what i was saying earlier deepa you're leading humans that are emo- emotional melting pots so there are going to be things that go diagonally or orthogonally in different directions so you are going to have conflicts you can't run away from it so having those conversations and then being fully transparent and then saying it like it is without holding back that was a lesson learned for me and that is something that i still try to practice uh today the cost of not having a tough conversation or dealing with conflicts it just increases as you progress in your career totally right uh, deepan what i've felt is if you let it simmer and fester it's going to cost everyone more rather than just dealing with it and then doing it in a respectful way and with facts and then taking the emotions out it is hard because like i i was saying earlier i mean we are emotional creatures and uh, some people are calm and others not so much when they they deal with such things but every time what i've seen and what i've experienced is dealing with it as quickly as possible is the best solution to this rather than running away from it during all the while that you spent working is there someone else's act or something somebody did that impacted you or the way you acted in the future after that lot of good examples and bad examples <laughs> <laughs> because i mean with the bad examples you're like huh i mean that didn't necessarily align with who i am or my value system uh, that's not something that i'm willing to change or imbibe right going back to what i was saying earlier and that is something that i'm definitely not going to do if i were in that same position So let me start off with that and then hit some good examples as well Adipa so see the bad ones are you know you act like you're caring about someone but you're really not it feels like you're checking the box i've been in those situations where you're having a conversation there is this appearance that they're listening but they're really not listening and then 
see all of us are smart individuals, you pick up on those cues along the way, and then it makes you feel smaller before you go into those conversations. You're going over there to be inspired, to you know, learn something so that you can walk away with something that you can apply in your, in your work setting. And then you walk away saying, hey, what just happened? Why did I do that? And so, so that I felt I wasn't necessarily going to do, right, ever, regardless of uh, where I am. I mean, if I can't do something, I would rather tell the person respectfully I can't do it right now rather than giving the time and then, you know, going through the motions. The other thing I've seen also is the bad examples is someone throwing that position around. What I've learned and a, a good mentor of mine kind of drove it into me right from the start was the sphere of influence is much, much more powerful than the sphere of control. Meaning what you can, you know, drive or change through influence, through what, you, what your message is, how you come across is much, much more powerful than who reports to you and what you can drive through that. So the bad example that I saw was someone like throwing the position around, like driving it with their ego. And I'm like, hey, you don't own anything over here. You're doing this because the company gave you that. Tomorrow, the company can take it away from you. So that was something I at least wanted to strive and make sure I didn't do. So the good examples are exactly the opposite, Deepa, where I saw people, you know, regardless of who they were, being people-oriented, being people-first. So when they talk to someone, they really care about the person. They want to know what's going on in your lives. And they actually remember the next time you talk to them, they ask about that. Because they're not just checking the box. They truly, truly care about who you are as an individual. That is something that you know, I use a role model. I aspire to be that and I strive to be that. The other one is, you know, taking chances on people. So as you're coming up, you don't necessarily have all the experiences that you need sometimes for the positions that you're aspiring. What you're looking for are those leaders that see the potential in you, going to take the chance on you and then put you in those positions and then give you all the supporting and backing so that you're successful. Now as a VP CIO, how do you define the culture that you want to see in your team? See, it's a mixture of different things. I was thinking about this earlier as I was reflecting and as you know, we are trying to, to evolve the team to keep up with where the company needs to be at. So there are different elements deeper. So first and foremost, what I want in the team, what I, what I feel the team is aspiring to get to, and we are already there in many ways is being results and outcomes oriented. We don't survive if you don't have that. I mean, I don't want any of us to feel like we are entitled to anything. We have to stand based on the results and the outcomes that we drive. And it needs to be a true meritocracy. It needs to be based on what we can bring every day, not based on what your past achievements have been, but what you can do. So everyone needs to pull their weight. So that is, you know, a, a key dimension of the culture that I'm trying to drive. Second, I am a huge believer in we over I, team. So doing it as a team, collaborating with each other, supporting each other, and then driving to get to that bigger goal. Again, in no way is it conflicting with the first one that I said deeper. I mean, that one saying you need to pull your weight. But at the same time, 
pulling your weight and then doing it as a team, we can do a whole lot more. So that's something that definitely I want on my teams. Third is we, we can't be taking ourselves too seriously. We don't want to come into a workplace where everything is so serious and it's all about work. We spend more time at work than with our, with our, with our family most of the time. So this needs to be a place where it's, it's fun, it's inviting, it's, a, it's pretty much a second, in many ways, it's a family atmosphere. It's that second family that we are having. It needs to feel like that. So we need to have that vibe within the team as, as well. And the last one, and this is something that, again, it depends on the situation, but I would definitely like our teams to have is that aggressive streak. We need to go get whatever, whatever is, that, that is due to us. We need to be that entrepreneurial team. It may not necessarily work in every setting deeper, but uh, as much as possible where it makes sense, we need to have that. This is one aspect of how you want to see it, but there will be things you will need to drive a change to as well. There'll be times when as much as you want the things, there will be things you need the team to change in the way they are doing or perceiving stuff so that you can actually get the culture you want to, right? Absolutely. So how do you go about initiating a culture change? Because it's with people, it's with what they're doing and what they've been through. So how do you even begin bringing about a change if you need to? Absolutely. So let me start off by saying, Deepa, that uh, one culture is a journey. It's not going to be, it's not an on-off switch where it can be achieved in one day or even like a week. I mean, it's, it's going to take some time. And so one, we have to recognize that. And second, we have to be patient and persistent to get there. So to, to start off with, when I go into any team, Deepa, the first thing I look at is, you know, who are my, my engines for the culture that I want to drive? Who are my anchors to keep it where it needs to be? And then who are the bad apples that are going against that? So my immediate priority is to talk to the bad apples and then see, is this something where there is a disconnect in the value set, it is at a point where it cannot be repaired or changed. If that's the case, then, you know, this is something where mutually we agree, hey, this is not the right place for you. I don't want to tolerate people who are toxic to the culture because that then drives the, the message to the rest of the team that this is not important. And it's okay not to necessarily you know, drive all those different elements that we are saying is valuable to us. So that is number one priority. I try to go after that as quickly as possible. Have the right people, the engines, the anchors, and then take out the bad apples. Second, culture starts right at the top. So me and the leadership team, we need to be on the same page on what is that culture that we're talking about? What are the core tenets of that culture? We then need to believe in it. We need to role model it. And we need to make sure that we stay true to it and hold ourselves accountable to it. Third, communicate, communicate, communicate. Make sure that it is a very clear message. It's a simple message. It can't be this you know, complicated PhD thesis that no one is going to understand. It needs to be simple. And, and the most important thing, back to what I was saying earlier, Deepa, this is a marathon. It's going to take time, right? 
And we can't be tired as leaders to sound like a broken record. We have to keep harping on the same thing again and again and again to make sure that one, the, the team you know, knows and understands and realizes that we are serious about it, we're not changing it. And second, as you keep driving this again and again, it is going to stick within the team, right? And then you're going to start seeing the changes. And the last one is you need to recognize behaviors that align with what you're trying to drive. Where you need to make examples and say, hey, I value it. I recognize it. These are great examples. Here's what I want the rest of the organization to role model. And then also make examples where it goes in the other direction. You can't tolerate bad examples. I mean, again, I'm not saying be a dictator, but once you have the conversation, you see that, you know, they're willfully going against it and they're trying to be toxic, then you need to take action ruthlessly on that. What do you think some of the things organizations do to sustain the culture? I know one, you, you spoke about recognizing the right values, recognizing the right behavior in people. You spoke about communication. Just give some of the things that organizations or teams do to sustain the culture they want. Yeah, that's, that's a great one, Deepa. Number one, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it's a marathon. And it's also a very fragile thing. As much as, you know, we say, hey, culture... Uh, is this thing that is team sport, we work together and all that. If you don't work on it every day, if you don't give it the importance, the progress that you make after all this effort can quickly evaporate and go away as well. It can go from being a great culture to a toxic culture if you don't put the effort. And it can take a, a U-turn really, really soon. So your question, things that you need to do is one, make sure that it is a, a key topic that you go back to frequently where you look at, hey, what are we trying to achieve as a company? What is our culture and value set at? Does it align with where we want to go? And do we need to tweak it, right? Second, the messaging, like I said earlier. I mean, that you, you can't just say, oh, our culture is already there. We're doing good, so we don't need to talk about it. No, no, no. I mean, we have to keep, you know, back to what I was saying earlier, be a broken record, keep talking about it, keep driving it so that people know that, hey, this is still a priority, right? Back to what you were asking when I switched companies, right? The, the biggest uh, change that I saw is people were measuring or the company was measuring people on, on the culture, on how we did things, not just the what performance. So all those things are important. It needs to be a core part of how we work. And the last one, the incentivization also. People are going to, to do where you tell them or you show them where they are valued, right? If you say, hey, this is important for me or this is the correct thing to do and then I'm going to recognize you for that, then people are going to continue doing more and more of that. So I would say, you know, again, uh, in no particular order, Deepa, those are some of the, the things that I think we should be doing and that companies do. Amazing summary, Shiva. It was a nice conversation and I absolutely enjoyed reliving your journey. Thank you. And again, like I said, it was 
it was a pleasure to explore this topic together and i think we can spend days right looking at this <laughs> because there's so many different dimensions and angles and uh, call it uh, turns you can take on this one so truly a pleasure thank you for doing this thank you shiva thank you for listening to our podcast if you enjoyed our episode do subscribe to the podcast and check out our show notes which provide more information on the topics discussed during the episode please follow us on linkedin at through the corporate glass and on twitter at corporate glass and share your thoughts we'd love to hear from you you can also check out our website through the corporate glass.com 